All right, the official timekeeper has 7.01, so let's go ahead and find a seat. Please feel free to introduce yourself to the people next to you, and we're going to dive in. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Our Lady, Queen of Peace. St. Joseph, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, everybody, welcome to night two, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. If this is your first time here, welcome. If it is your second time here, welcome back. You must be gluttons for punishment. To highlight a couple of things that we talked about last week, so if you weren't here, you kind of can have the same operating principles before we dive in and take the next step. We are unpacking tonight and next week a book that was written about a year and a half-ish ago by the president of the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. He wrote it in conversation with his faculty at uh, this university, and the intention of the book was to basically just provoke a conversation amongst the faculty and the students at this university in Bismarck, North Dakota, about what's going on in our culture today and what the Christian response is. And this book, really without any attempt uh, on their part to publicize it, really got a lot of popularity and has kind of become a National Catholic bestseller in the last year. That, it, that alone should tell us something. That we are living in a change of ages, as Monsignor Shea, the president of You Mary, has, has highlighted it. A change of ages. I think that the mere fact that there are so many of us here tonight uh, it would also lend itself to show that, okay, this is a relevant, timely topic from Christendom to apostolic mission. So last week we kind of reflected on what exactly lies at the heart of culture, and we said that it's the practice of religion. The practice of religion historically has, li- has laid at the heart of culture, and so, right, cult is the center of culture. And so when you remove the practice of religion, you're actually going to undermine the very foundations upon which cultures rest. And we find ourselves in 21st century America living amidst a culture that is making the choice to reject the cult, the practice of religion, upon which American culture, or even a little bit larger speaking, Western Christian culture has originated. Okay, and so this is kind of what's ushering in this change of ages. And then last week we highlighted a lot of Pope Benedict XVI's kind of reflections on how the worship of God has always led to right reason. And so some of the great uh, modern atheistic philosophers, uh, one of whom is a man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, who lived roughly about 100 years ago in Germany, right? He famously wrote that the rejection of God will bring about the rejection of reason. The murder of God will bring about the murder of reason. And so we shouldn't be surprised This is amazing that an atheistic philosopher grasped this and made that connection. We shouldn't be surprised to see that we are living amidst a culture that is increasingly committing intellectual suicide, right? That is rejecting truth in even more crazy ways. A hundred years ago, uh, our culture seemed to respect science. Fifty years ago, twenty years ago, even ten years ago, our culture, it would seem, had a greater respect for the hard sciences 
than we do today. Where even now today, what, it, what, what used to be considered a hard science is now dictated by personal thinking or personal feeling. And so we see that the movement away from the worship of God has actually brought about a movement away from honest truth-seeking and honest truth-living in our culture. Those things go hand in hand. And so then the last big thing that we really kind of hit on last week was what does Pope Benedict propose the solution is? And he says, if you look back for the last 2,000 years of the Christian story, that God has raised up saints in every age, and that all of the saints that have been raised up in the last 2,000 years, especially in times of cultural crisis, the world has seen a few cultural crises in the last 2,000 years, that especially in those times, God has raised up a specific flavor, a specific kind of saint, if you will. And Pope Benedict called these creative minorities. And so he says that in the midst of any age, Christians have generally one of three choices. So in the midst of kind of a a, a revolution of ages, which we have seen in the last 2,000 years in different parts of the world, Christians generally have three options, three choices. One choice is to kind of adopt a progressive mentality and to go along with kind of whatever the spirit of the age says. And there are some Christians in the last 2,000 years that have chosen that. But Pope Benedict rightly illustrates, rightly points out, None of those bear the title of saint. And so we should pay attention to that. So option one, go along with what the culture is doing. Kind of follow the spirit of the age. If you have followed what's happened in the church, in the Catholic church, in the Christian communities, specifically in northern and western Europe in the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, that generally has been the approach to how Christianity has been lived in those parts of the world for the last 40, 50, 60 years. There's kind of been this spirit of, well, let's do what everybody else is doing and we'll kind of just follow along the spirit of the age in which we are living. And that has essentially destroyed Christianity in countries in Europe that used to be very fervently Christian. And so option one is kind of follow the spirit of the present age. Option two that Pope Benedict holds up is like, Run for the hills and turn inwards. And he rightly notes that there also seem to be a consistent lack of saints that would have that mentality. That sure, there are saints like St. Benedict when the the, uh, civilization of Rome was beginning to collapse, that he raised up monasteries. And you could kind of say that he, he took the practice of culture and the practice of religion inwards into the monasteries. But Benedict's goal throughout his entire life in ministry was to protect Christian culture so that the world could be evangelized again in the name of Jesus Christ. And so his operation was not so much one of turn inwards, but protect culture so that we can go back out and proclaim Christ to the nations. And so Benedict says, option one, follow the spirit of the present age. Not a whole lot of saints chose that. Option two, turn inwards. Don't talk to anybody. Don't interact with culture in any way. Uh, And Pope Benedict would say, well, there's not a whole lot of saints that chose that either. That leaves option three. And option three is what Pope Benedict calls 
the choice of the creative minorities. And what was that choice? That choice was to adopt a spirit of discernment to acknowledge the things in culture that were good, that were Christocentric, that were consistent with the message of the gospel. Every culture, including our own culture, still has elements of truth, goodness, and beauty that are present within it. Okay, and so Pope Benedict says, really the creative minorities are the ones that took what was true, good, and beautiful in their time and in their ages, and they refused to accept, they refused to buy into the other parts of the culture or the other parts of the age in which they were living that they knew contrasted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says that they were creative minorities, meaning they were minorities in the culture because they didn't choose to buy into everything that the culture attempted to sell, but they were creative, meaning they recognized this is good and this is true and this is also true. And let's take those things that are good and let's bring the fullness of Jesus Christ into them and we can work with this. And so Pope Benedict says, really in the last 2,000 years, the saints, especially in those times of cultural crisis, all seemed to choose option three, the option of the creative minority. And the option, the, the saint that Pope Benedict holds up to kind of illustrate this example, we talked about him a little bit last week, was St. Thomas More or St. John Fisher. And these are both Catholic saints who lived in England about 500 years ago. What was happening in England about 500 years ago? And actually throughout pretty much all of Western Europe. The Protestant Reformation. Right, and so this was a, a, a change of ages. This was a time of cultural shifting and revolution a little bit within Christian Europe, within Western Europe. And St. Thomas More, if you know the story, Thomas More was a very high-ranking officer, if you will, um, in uh, the Kingdom of England. He was a personal friend of Henry VIII. And Thomas devoted much of his life to the service of the crown of England. But at the end of the day, Henry VIII decided that he wanted to divorce his wife who wasn't producing an heir fast enough. And Thomas More stood in the king's way, acknowledging his friendship with the king, acknowledging his love for the crown of England, acknowledging his desire to serve the crown of England well, but not accepting the spirit of the age that basically said, we choose the king service to the king before service to Jesus, the eternal king. And so Thomas More had to make a decision. Am I going to acknowledge the authority of the king or the authority of the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth? We call that guy who? The Pope, right? And so Thomas More rightly chose communion with the Pope before his friendship and his service to the crown of England. And for that, he was executed. John Fisher, John Henry Fisher was the only Catholic bishop in this time period in England that chose faithfulness to the Catholic Church rather than going on with Henry VIII's attempt and his creation of the Church of England. And so it's interesting to note, Pope Benedict kind of holds this up as a very important point. We know the names of the people who refused to go along with Henry VIII's attempt to create his own church and to divorce himself 
from the voice of, of Peter, from the voice of, of the Pope. Can we name any Catholic bishops or any heroic Christians who said, basically, you know what, I'm following the king on this one. Everybody else is following the king, I'm following the king. Pope Benedict holds up the, the important answer, no. We know the name of one Catholic bishop from this time in England, and it's the one who chose to be a creative minority. And so Pope Benedict basically says that in every age, Jesus is looking for people to choose the way of creative minorities. People who are not out to condemn the culture, people who are out to protect it, to celebrate what is good in it, and to marry that to the fullness of Christ in his church. If we are willing to do that, we're going to suffer for doing that. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight. But so that was basically everything kind of in a nutshell that we covered last week. So everybody's caught up. We're time to dive in. So if you are just buying the book, if you're just hearing about the book, surprise, here's what the book is about, okay? We're going to kind of take a 10,000-foot bird's-eye view of this book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And the book begins with Monsignor Shea basically telling us that we need to adopt what he calls a ruling imaginative vision in human culture. Human beings tend to like, kind of like, look for and address and take in the climate of things. And so it's not bad to do this. It's very good to do this. Where a lot of times we would just kind of look around and say like, how are we doing? As a country, how are we doing? As a church, how are we doing? As a family, how are we doing? As a married couple, how are things going? Like we tend to take the pulse of how things are going. And to do this, is, it, it, it's very good, it's very wise and prudent to do this, to be situationally aware of what is happening in you and what is happening around you. But Monsignor Shea kind of holds up and he says, a lot of us in the 21st century in the Catholic Church in parishes in the United States, we tend to still be a little bit confused about how to discern how things are going, right? And so we tend to like, if we were going to have a conversation tonight, we're going to open like a, I don't know, a town forum without Father Brian. Man, the one person who didn't come in the parish tonight is Father Brian. Where's Father Brian? Oh, man. If we were going to ask like, how are we doing as a parish? What might be the general answers of people in the pews? What would we, how would we decide how things are going as a parish? I think generally the first thing a lot of people look for is how much are we spending and how much are we bringing in? And that will tell us how we're doing. Other people might look for how many butts are in the pews on Sunday and holy days of obligation. That will tell you how, how we're doing. Other people might say, this is the enrollment in the school. Therefore, things are good or things are not good. And Monsignor Shades basically kind of calling out our perspective of how we discern things are going as a culture and as a church. And he says, rather than looking for the numbers, what should we be looking for? Jesus tells us in the Gospels, he says, if you want to know whether or not I'm at work, whether that's in your family or in your parish or in your own heart, if you want to know whether or not I'm alive and I'm at work and I'm the one who's moving and working, look for the fruits. Good trees produce good fruits. Bad trees produce bad fruits. By their fruits, you will know them. And so what are the fruits that we should be looking for? 
Monsignor Shea says, okay, first and foremost, the greatest fruit in the Christian life is what? Money. That's right. No, no. Okay. (laughs) The greatest fruit in the Christian life is holiness. Holiness. Men and women who choose to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not sometimes, always. Children who encounter the message of Jesus Christ and choose to live under his authority and under his reign. So Monsignor Shea says the first thing that you should look for is holiness. If we could produce one canonized saint in this time as a parish, we might look at Father Brian and say, what a great pastor. Not presuming it's him. Maybe it'll be one of his associates. My money's on Father Edward. (laughs) (laughs) But if we just had like one canonized saint, right, we would be remembered for this time in this place. Holiness is attractive and holiness is powerful. And so Monsignor Shea says the first thing that we would look for is holiness. The second thing that you would look for or other fruits that you might look for is it's hard to be able to dialogue with it. It's hard to be able to quantify it. But he says, you look for men and women who choose to serve the Lord, who choose to serve Jesus Christ. And so that can be seen a lot of ways. That can be seen in how many people are showing up for Mass. That can be seen in, are there vocations coming out of this parish? That can be seen in, does anybody go to confession? That can be seen in a lot of different ways But it's hard to quantify that. But Monsignor Shea begins the book by basically saying, if you're going to take the pulse on your life, on your heart, on your family, on your marriage, how do you know whether or not it's it's successful? And Monsignor Shea kind of holds up the good that he sees present in the culture today. There are good numbers. There are good signs out there. But if we're going to look kind of in the grand scheme of things, Monsignor Shea says, we need to recognize that the historic worldview, the historic mentality, the historic way that we as a church would kind of tend to look and to say, how are things going? That, excuse me, that needs to change. And so Monsignor Shea kind of rightly holds up two different ways of looking at how is the church doing How is the church operating? And so he holds up two different modes, if you will. The mode of Christendom and the mode of apostolicity. Are you with me on the notes? Do you see where I'm at? Okay. So Christendom, we kind of defined this last week. Christendom, not Christianity. Christianity is alive and well. But Christendom is basically the culture that has flowed out of people choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And so, like, the United States of America, we, like, it would be obvious, hopefully, that we could all accept that it was Christian people who founded the United States of America. The United States was not founded to be an atheistic nation. It was not founded to be a Muslim nation. It was founded presupposing the divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we want to acknowledge that. That's not necessarily bad. That's very good. But Monsignor Shea kind of holds up and he says, okay, we got to acknowledge, though, that that's not the culture that we're living in now. That a lot of the people who are leading our culture, whether that be in Hollywood, on the athletic field, in the White House, in the Capitol building, kind of regardless of whether or not they say they're following Jesus Christ, 
we would want to acknowledge that very few people who are, if you will, like, quote, leading our culture today or inspiring or influencing the development of our culture today have given their lives to Jesus Christ and have made the decision to live under his lordship. And so there are a lot of different ways that we could point. There are a lot of different signs we could point to in our culture today that would probably tip us off to say Christendom is over. But that's essentially kind of the, the, the premise that Monsignor Shea has for this book, is we do not live in a Christian culture anymore. America was founded to be a Christian culture. It is not anymore. And we need to acknowledge that. Okay, and so these two different modes, these two different ways of seeing, of thinking about how the church is doing, if you will, about whether or not the church is growing or being successful or, or really any way that you would kind of like take the, the pulse on the church. The first one that he holds up is the Christendom mentality, kind of this like we're living in a Christian culture mentality. And he says like there are, there are goods and bads to this mentality, and there are goods and bads to the other mentality, the, the apostolic mentality that basically says we're living in a culture that thinks Christians are nuts, <laughs> right? That maybe the Christian voice is a voice in the culture, but it is not a dominant present voice in the culture. And so Monsignor Shea basically says, okay, what are some advantages? Like historically speaking, when the culture was very Christian, what was advantageous about that? And he points to several different things. He says, okay, like, for example, the laws of a culture that is Christian are going to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, we used to live in a culture where a lot of our laws were kind of like Judeo-Christian. Okay? Morality, kind of the moral norms of a culture that is founded and that is Christian are going to be consistent with the gospel. And it used to be in the United States of America that uh, most marriages didn't end in divorce. Do you know that? Okay, that, that, that's, a, that's a new phenomenon in our country, that most marriages do end in divorce. That, that's not how it used to be. Right? It used to be that if you sent your kids to public school and kind of prayed with them every once in a while, that that would be pretty much what everybody else was doing. And your kids turned out generally as upstanding, virtuous, religious people because that's generally, that's what the state of the family and that's kind of just how kids were raised 40, 50, 60, 80 years ago. Okay, does, it, does this make sense? So in, a, in a, a Christendom mode, the laws, the moral norms, those kinds of things, the societal pressure would be, if you will, to conform to Christ and to his gospel. That's good. Christian culture has produced amazing accomplishments and achievements basically in every age. So when we look to historic places, historic ages, and we would look and say like, man, like what, uh, what inspired the growth and the development of science? We have an answer for that. Christianity. When we look and we say, like, wow, like, what, what inspired the rise of economics or the rise of, like, questioning the fundamental dignity of the human person or uh, the rise in the arts of the Italian Renaissance? Italy during the Renaissance, guess what it was? Heavily Christian. And so Monsignor Shea says another advantage to this Christendom mode is that it, like, there was a lot of cultural achievement, whether that's in the sciences, in the arts, 
in the soft sciences. There were lots and lots of cultural achievements. Okay, the ones that he points to in his text would be the rise of hospitals. Who was it that gave us hospitals? This isn't theology, this is history. The Christian church, the Catholic church. The first universities, who started them? The Catholic church. That's not theology, that's history, and that's important for us to be aware of. The amazing cathedrals that were built in all over Europe, were they cathedrals in, in honor of the Muslim God? No. So these are beautiful, beautiful cultural enhancements and achievements of a culture that chose Christ. Okay, and Monsignor Shea basically says that the mentality in a culture that has chosen Christ, in a culture that generally pretty much everybody is striving to serve Christ, the overarching mentality is that of maintenance. We want to keep doing what we're doing. We want to keep getting butts in the pews. We want to keep bringing in money. We want to have our institutions open because they're doing great things. We want to open more universities. We want to maintain where we are, right? If the culture is Christian and it's producing Christian fruits, the mentality is maintain. That's not necessarily bad, but we want to be aware that's the mentality. What would be the disadvantages for Christians living in a culture of Christendom, in a culture that is very heavily Christian, what would be disadvantages of that? When everybody is following Christ, it can become comfortable. It can become comfortable to follow Jesus. And we become less shaken by the gospel. Because, you know, just kind of everybody is doing it and you don't really need to stand out or make waves because, you know, we're all kind of doing it together at 60% and basically good is good enough, isn't it? And so there can very much be this mentality of like, okay, like we're, we're, we're comfortable where we are. Things, are. things are okay. It can be very easy for the Christian spirit to become very worldly in a Christendom era. Right Where it is about keeping the institutions open, it is about opening more institutions, whether that's parishes or schools or universities or hospitals, whatever it is. And so there can be this spirit of worldliness, this spirit of materialism that can creep in to a culture that is very heavily Christian. Oftentimes, people who are in the lay state, what's the lay state? You're not a priest, you're not a brother, you're not a religious sister, but you are very important. <laughs> we forget that in a heavily Christian culture. Because a heavily Christian culture is kind of generally driven by, you know, bishops and monsignors and priests and religious sisters, and not so much people who are living the lay state. Okay, and history would show us that. These are all things that Monsignor Shea holds up. And he says, really, one of the biggest disadvantages, actually, is that it can be very easy for hypocritical Christians to emerge in a culture that is heavily Christian. What would he mean by that? Hypocritical Christians. Christians who kind of like say that they're following Jesus Christ. But really, if we're going to be honest, I mean, and history shows us this, believe it or not, there were a lot of bishops in the era of Christendom in Europe that uh, it would seem maybe were more about the finances or the finer things of life than they were the salvation of souls. 
Okay, so it can be it can be easy for kind of this hypocritical Christian spirit of, yeah, we follow Jesus, but you know, when push comes to shove, it's kind of more about material stuff or other things that could creep in. Okay? Really the the biggest disadvantage in a culture that is heavily Christian is that heroic virtue is often not seen. It is often rare. There are few intentional disciples of Jesus in a heavily Christian culture because it can be easy and comfortable to kind of just do what everybody else is generally doing and we can buy into this basically isn't good, good enough mentality. We don't live in a heavily Christian culture. And so that's Christendom. You ready to talk about apostolic times? Okay, or the apostolic mode, as Monsignor Shea calls it. Okay, he says there's also, there's advantages and disadvantages to acknowledging that we don't live in a Christian culture. And what would be advantages to living, following Christ in a culture that is not Christian? What's, what's advent, that may seem actually kind of counterintuitive. What's advantageous about that? Monsignor Shea firstly says Christians can stand out. In a culture that is increasingly not Christian, Christians stand out. Is that an advantage? <laughs> Maybe it depends on who you're asking, right? Do you want to stand out? Jesus tells us that the light shines brightest in times of darkness. And so if you want to see the light of Christ shine, bring it into the darkness. Okay, so the biggest advantage that Monsignor Shea says, Christians can stand out in a culture that is not Christian. He actually specifically calls out priests. And he says that there has to be a greater purity of intention for young men who enter into the priesthood in times when Christianity is mocked and ridiculed by the world. Could, could you kind of see that when... When you're living in a heavily Christian culture, becoming a priest is more just kind of a, I mean, it could literally be kind of a white-collar job. You know, you're really, you're, 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 you're kind of treated like a king in some places. You get invited over for dinner. <laughs> you get loved by lots of people. They give you really nice things. It can be easy, if you will, to be a priest, and that actually hurts the priesthood. Because the priesthood is not about having stuff and keeping institutions open. The priesthood is about giving up one's life so that other people may know Jesus. And so Monsignor Shea actually says that in societies and cultures that have rejected Christ, there is a purification implicitly of the priesthood. Why? Because rather than being honored in a culture, you get... Rejected, cursed, spat upon, ridiculed, mocked when you choose to follow Jesus Christ and when you choose to become a priest in a culture that has rejected him or that is indifferent to him. Does that help strengthen the priesthood? Yes. Why? Because people who are wanting to be comfortable priests are they going to become priests in a culture that has rejected Jesus? No. 
And so to have a priest who's not in it for the money or the fame or the honor or the glory, but who is in it to love Jesus and to save souls, that's what the priesthood is all about. And so as a culture becomes increasingly anti-Christian, the culture, the priesthood is actually purified in that culture. We have seen all of this play out in the last 50 years in American culture, right? Where we have seen the priesthood at its height, maybe, and then shortly after that, at its absolute worst. And we're now living in a point where, I mean, I can be honest with you, even friends of priests, even family members of young men considering the priesthood kind of reject you or look at you like you have seven heads or kind of say, wow, that's, a, that's one way to live your life. You know, when you tell them that you're going you're gonna to become a priest, most people try to talk you out of it rather than encourage it, right? And so it's a, it's a beautiful gift to be a priest in an apostolic time. And we want to acknowledge that there is a purification of the priesthood and through the priesthood, the whole, the whole church that takes place in an apostolic time. That's beautiful. Monsignor Shea also says that apostolic times create an urgency for evangelization. What does that mean? An urgency for evangelization. It can be really easy when pretty much the whole culture is Christian. Do you really feel like you, you really have to talk about the important things that matter at Thanksgiving when basically everybody's already Christian? No, you can kind of just be indifferent to the most important things and talk about football. <laughs> I'm not necessarily recommending going for the Jesus talk at Thanksgiving. That may not be the best time and place at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but it's an important conversation. So there is an urgency to evangelize in a culture that is increasingly less Christian. Why? How does that make sense? Believe it or not, the Catholic Church still teaches that what is necessary for salvation? Baptism. Believe it or not, the Catholic Church still believes and still teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation. Friendship with Jesus Christ saying yes to that friendship with Jesus Christ sacramentally through baptism, that that's necessary to go to heaven. And there are different ways that that's played out. We can speak of sacramental baptism, baptism by desire, baptism by blood. But believe it or not, like the Catholic Church believes that she is the means to heaven. And that's not to say that it's impossible for other people to get there, but that is to say that not everybody goes to heaven and you don't accidentally become a saint. And we're living in an age where hopefully that's becoming increasingly apparent, but with that should drive us to go out with Jesus and to love the people that don't yet know him. It used to be in the United States of America, if you wanted to like go on mission, you had to like go to Africa or Asia or some remote part of the world. If you want to go on mission with Jesus Christ today, walk outside. <laughs> Talk to anybody, right? At Quick Trip, at the driving range, at a Chiefs game. Oh my gosh. Yeah, just walk outside. So that's, that, those are blessings. Those are advantages to living in a culture that has rejected Christ. Who is more important in a culture that has rejected Christ? Religious sisters, priests, or lay people? Lay people, Why? Because there's more of, can I say you? <laughs> there's more of you, 
And the church teaches that the primary responsibility of her priests is to sanctify her people, to offer the sacraments, and to sanctify the people of God. Whose primary responsibility is it to go out and to make disciples and to invite other people into the fold of the church and into friendship with Jesus Christ? Whose job is that? Believe it or not, it is not your priest's job to come over and evangelize your grandmother. (laughs) That's your job. And it's an honor to be invited to do that. It's an honor to help you and to encourage you and to accompany you in that. But it is the primary responsibility of laymen and women to evangelize. And in a culture that has rejected Christ, it's a lot easier to do that. And it's a lot more necessary to do that. Does that that make sense? Okay, beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to say this is an advantage. And you may look at me like I have 12 heads, but the last thing that Monsignor Shea holds up and he says, this is an advantage to a culture that has forgotten or rejected Christ. He says, martyrdom is prevalent. How is that an advantage? How is that an advantage? Martyrdom is prevalent. Brothers and sisters, are we a people of this world? No. No. And so we are pilgrims passing through this, this time, this place, this age. Our home is not this world. Our home is God's kingdom. What is the most direct way to God's kingdom? Martyrdom. And so many of us would look at that and would say, yikes, heck no, I hope that never happens. And I've heard Father Brian say it actually a couple of times. If somebody walks into the church with a gun, that's my one chance. Don't take them down. (laughs) I'm going straight home. (laughs) Christians don't fear death. Right? St. Paul, one of the first and greatest Christians, says, Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? He mocks death because he knows who Jesus is and that Jesus has conquered even that. There are disadvantages to living in a culture that has rejected Christ to an apostolic culture. What are those? Okay, Monsignor Shea says that it can be hard to persevere. Why can it be hard to persevere? Because no one else is doing it. Right? It can be hard to persevere in an anti-Christian culture because you actually have to try to persevere. Right? And so that can be very difficult. Monsignor Shea also says, okay, hostility. Uh, has anybody ever been disliked on Facebook, unfriended on Facebook, or even in real life? You kind of get mocked, ridiculed, cast out, scorned, whatever, for choosing to follow Christ, for choosing to defend the moral teaching of the church, for choosing to love people as Jesus calls us to love people. Yeah, we face hostility. Hostility generally isn't easy. We don't, believe it or not, I, maybe Father Edward does. I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh gosh, I hope that people hate me today. <laughs> Jesus, that'll conform me more and more to you. There are fewer resources in a culture that has become anti-Christian. When it's easier not to follow Christ, when it's easier not to love Jesus, when no one else is doing it, fewer and fewer people are doing it, which means that our parishes, are they getting bigger? No. Are our resources growing? No. Okay, so that would be a disadvantage. We have less resources. He says that there is a high cost of discipleship. 
and that it that basically cowardice is very easy. When you live in a culture that chooses hedonism over Christianity, that chooses materialism over Christianity, that chooses relativism. Do you know are those, those are big words? Do you know what those words mean? Hedonism, what is that? I serve the God of pleasure. Pleasure is my God more so than Jesus Christ. Materialism, that's a hard one. What's that? (laughs) My happiness, my life, my religion is gaining material stuff. And I will be happy to the extent that I have material stuff. And that trumps Christianity. And so Monsignor Shea tells us that it can be easy to choose the way of cowardice in a culture that is increasingly anti-Christian. Because we don't want to make waves. We don't want to have to suffer. We would like to kind of have our feet in both kingdoms, right? Have a little pleasure and a little material stuff. And also, you know, a little Jesus sometimes, maybe on Sunday morning. Okay, we'd, like, we'd prefer to have our, our feet in both kingdoms. There are zero saints of the church that did that. There are a lot of Christians attempting to do that now. There are zero saints of the Christian people that have done that previously. That should tell us something. Okay, the last thing that Monsignor Shea tells us is a disadvantage is that there can be a general like, attempt to flee from the culture rather than a purification of love for the culture and a desire to go out in the midst of it and to serve it. Okay, and so there are advantages and disadvantages to both of these modes, both of these ways of kind of assessing how things are going. Where are we at? What is our current climate? Monsignor Shea tells us in the book that our culture is the first culture in history that was once deeply Christian, but that by a slow and thorough process has been consciously ridding itself of its Christian basis. Agree or disagree? Agree. We were once Christian, but we have been moving to rid ourselves of Christian values. To rid ourselves of Christ. Did you know that you actually used to learn prayer in public schools? You actually used to learn the traditional understanding, traditional, the true understanding of what constitutes marriage. You used to be formed in a culture that really believed that your identity was not a matter of personal thinking or feeling. Okay, and still the hard sciences proclaim all of this to be true. But we're living increasingly in a culture that rejects it and chooses to worship not Jesus, but the self. Monsignor tells us our culture is transitioning from a place in which Christianity is the dominant cultural influence, that'd be Christendom, to one in which it is merely one influence among others. And that's the epitome of an apostolic age. The voice of Christianity is maybe still a voice, but it's certainly not the dominant voice in our culture today. It would seem, it, it, honestly, it, it does drive me nuts a little bit as a Catholic priest. When you read the newspaper, you turn on the news, you watch lots of different media outlets, everybody seems to be in the business of advocating for people who are offended. And that's not necessarily a bad or an evil thing, but it would seem that there is still in our culture today at least one or two groups that it's socially uh, affirming 
to throw under the bus and to ridicule and to make a public mockery of. And I, I do think one of those populations is Catholic priests. Right? When was the last time you heard or you saw an, a, something in the newspaper about a Catholic priest who was doing a great job? Nobody talks about that because it doesn't sell. Right? So it would seem that we, we're still living in a culture that would say it's okay to mock and to oppress people. They just have to be the right groups of people. And if they're not the right groups of people, we'll advocate for them. If they are the right groups of people, we're going to have a lot of fun mocking them, ridiculing them, and tearing them down. Okay, So that's, that would be emblematic of a culture that has rejected Christ. All right. Does, are we... Are we accepting of that? Are we good at acknowledging the current climate is more one of an apostolic climate than of a Christendom one? We don't live in a Christian culture anymore. There are advantages and disadvantages to this. Okay, so the next place in his book then is Monsignor says, okay, well, let's acknowledge Christianity is over. Well, not Christianity, Christendom. Christendom is over. And so we got to think about how are we going to operate now basically aware that we don't live in Christendom. We are certainly living in apostolic times. And so part four on the notes, Monsignor leads us to devise a pastoral strategy for this transitional time. Okay, what is our pastoral strategy? I gave you a quote from his book when he says, did I give you this quote? I think I did. It is the difference between floating a canoe downriver with the occasional guiding push That would be like Christendom, kind of like we're going with the spirit of the age. Or steering it upriver against the current with energetic strokes. Do you know, have you ever canoed before? You know the difference between going with the current or going against the current? Okay, very good. What happens when the rowing stops is quite different in the two cases. Those who think the current is going their way, when in fact it is against them, will be surprised to find themselves rushing along in a direction they did not intend. Another image, when you are living in a culture, what, okay, well, forget culture. When you're in a shopping mall, well, I'm going to date myself. Remember shopping malls? Okay, when you're in a shopping mall and you jump on an escalator and you put in absolutely zero effort, where are you going? Wherever the escalator is going, right? If it's going up, you're going up. If it's going down, you're going down. So what if you were living in a culture that is moving away from Jesus and you're making the decision to ride the cultural wave? Basically to do what everybody else is doing. It's really, as long as you have an open mind and you're accepting and you're nice to other people, that's the, that's the ultimate virtue in a culture that has rejected Christ. Not honesty, not heroism, not temperance, really not virtue. Just be nice and accepting. Don't make any waves. Right? If you're living in a culture that is moving away from Jesus and you do nothing out of a spirit of openness and tolerance and beautiful, great, where are you going to end up? A long ways away from Jesus. That's basically what he's saying. If you are aware that you are living not in Christendom, but in an apostolic time, you have to fight, you have to put in effort to get to where you are wanting to go. Because the escalator, the current, if you will, of the time in which we are living is not moving towards Jesus. And so this demands an honest reflection on our part. What are we doing as married couples, as parents, as grandparents, 
as CEOs, as doctors, nurses, financial representatives, whatever we are, however we have been allowed to live and exist in this time in which we are living, what are we doing to move towards Jesus? And if what we are doing is, I go to Mass on Christmas and Easter, or I send my kids to a Catholic school and that's the end of their religious education, we got to really reassess our priorities. Because our children are growing up in a culture that increasingly rejects Christ. We have to acknowledge that, brothers and sisters. And so our problem is rather that much of the church is still in a Christendom mode, Monsignor tells us, either seriously compromised by the ruling vision of the wider culture or using outmoded strategies that were devised from a different context and so it is unable to cope with the current culture. What's he saying there? Monsignor's basically saying, guys, we got to acknowledge we don't live in Christendom. What was the most important like, kind of like spirit in Christendom? Maintain. Do whatever you got to do to keep the institution open, to keep enrollment up. Do whatever you got to do to keep bringing in money. Do you, what would be the tension here? If you're living in a culture that is not Christian and you're wanting to do whatever you have to do to keep bringing in money, what's going to happen? You're going to water down Christianity. Because rather than challenging people and calling them to be countercultural, you're going to preach a message that keeps the doors open and the lights on and money in your pocket. And so we want to be very weary of a church that would not proclaim the gospel of Christ and the saints, but would tend to kind of just, oh yeah, well, whatever it takes to keep people coming. The primary goal of the Catholic Church, I hate, I hate to tell you this, I hope it's not super offensive, the primary goal of, of a Catholic priest when I'm preaching, when I'm ministering to God's people, is not fundraise. That is not what we're about. We are about that. We, have to, we, want, we want to keep the church open as long as we can, but we're not fundraisers. We're in the business of saving souls. And in a post-Christian era, those two things don't really go hand-in-hand hand with each other a lot of the time. And so Monsignor tells us an essential working principle is that institutional and ecclesiastical, that means church strategies, that are suited to Christendom do not work in an apostolic setting. So like, for example, if you were a Catholic school in a culture that is counter-Christian or that is against Christ, we would want to not just maintain and keep things the way that they've always been. Why? Because the current is pushing our kids further and further away from Jesus. And if we're not countering that current and working harder and more effectively to bring Jesus to our students, they're not going to magically wind up there. And so rather than just kind of like maintain, Monsignor tells us that we have to be ready to go out on mission. And he gives us this, I, I love this image. He says, okay, we want to remember that like what we're about right now in the Christian life and in the Catholic Church in America today, we're not necessarily going out trying to convert pagans, people who have never heard of Jesus and know nothing of the gospel, but, excuse me, but rather bring back to the church those who either knowingly or unknowingly apostatized. What's apostasy? 
rejecting the Christian faith. Apostasy is the rejection of the Christian faith. And so Monsignor says, right, the, the goal right now is not so much like go out and convert, you know, uh, South America or uh, South America is heavily Christian. Uh, go, out and, go out and convert Saudi Arabia. That's not necessarily our goal right now. Our goal is, d- does anybody have family members or friends that maybe were baptized and no longer really live a Christian faith? I bet almost every hand in this room would go up. If we honestly thought about it, friends, family members, people we know who were once Christian but aren't anymore, those are our people, and their home is here. And so Monsignor says, rather than like go out and convert the Aborigines, that our goal is to bring back that uh, uh, former girlfriend who is well, wants nothing to do with us, right? Or that divorcee to lure her and to love her back into her marital relationship. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the mission. That's, the, that's the, the scope and sequence, if you will. Okay, so what are the principles, what are the attitudes that Monsignor tells us that we need to prioritize and really think about? This, is, this will be the last thing that we hit tonight. Okay, so the first thing that he says is we want to gain an apostolic attitude. What does that mean? We must be totally convinced of both the bad news and the good news. What's the bad news? We don't live in a Christian culture. What's the bad news? Sin is prevalent and it's celebrated in our culture today. What's the bad news? The consequence of sin is not life. What is it? Death. That's the bad news. That's horrifying news if we actually grasped it. What's the good news? Jesus is the remedy to sin. And he is the warrior king of Israel who came to enter into death itself, that the friends of God may have life and have it abundantly. There is bad news, but there is also better news, the good news. Do you know the good news of the gospel? Have you really allowed yourself to recognize who Jesus is and what he's accomplished? Or has, I mean, if you're going to be honest, has the mentality just kind of been like, oh yeah, we're Christian because our family is. Let's watch the Chiefs. (laughs) I mean, we want to acknowledge that that's where we are. If we're not living under the lordship of Jesus, we've got to acknowledge that. Okay? So we want to gain an apostolic attitude. That means we've got to acknowledge the good news and the bad news. And we also got to acknowledge we do not live in a Christian culture. That has to come first. In order for us to go out on mission with Jesus as his apostles, we've got to acknowledge Jesus is inviting us to go out on mission with him as his apostles. Right? In order to be healed, you have to acknowledge you're sick. In order to win, you have to first realize you're competing. Usually you don't accidentally win at things. Okay, so we've got to grow in our awareness. Secondly, he says, we need, to be ref- we need to refuse to be trapped by social analysis. If we listen to the pundits and the media and we get our news about uh, the Pope and the bishops and everything else from secular sources, what are we going to think? Probably not super positive, hope-filled things, right? The CNN is not going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and give us a spirit of hope and humble confidence that he's God, he knows who he is and what he's about. Cardinal Dolan, he's the Archbishop of New York City. He likes to laugh sometimes and he'll say, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I read some of the gospel and some of the New York Times so I'm aware of what each side is up to that day. (laughs) Kind of tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, where are you getting your news? 
if it's not the Catholic Church, if it's not the gospel of Christ, if it's not the saints, let's not let what secular news sources are telling us about our religious practices. Okay, d- does that make sense? I was with a priest yesterday who uh, was asked by like 35 different newspapers and, uh, and outlets, news outlets, when uh, Pope Francis was elected, he was kind of like the guest commentator. And he was being interviewed by a newspaper in South Carolina, and uh, he said something to the effect of, this is great that, that the Diocese of Rome has a new bishop. And the person who was interviewing him said, oh, is the Pope a bishop? And he eventually realized that in this conversation that she didn't even know the Pope was a priest. He said that his comment to her was, please go and talk to your editor and ask him why you have this story. Because what editor is going to send to the Chiefs game a reporter who knows nothing about football, has never heard of Patrick Mahomes, and doesn't know that the game actually continues after halftime? This is not acceptable anywhere else in our culture, but it is when the media reports to us on religion. We want to acknowledge that and kind of just receive what they have to say, kind of with a grain of salt. Because regardless of what's happening in our culture, Jesus is God. He knows who he is and what he's about. Third, maintain and use institutions differently. Why? Because our institutions, most of them, were erected in a culture that was Christian. And is that culture still Christian? No. And so we have to acknowledge in our parishes, in our schools, in our high schools, especially in our colleges and universities, that Christian universities, Christian colleges, Catholic colleges should be even more all about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ of who he is and of what he has come to accomplish, what he has done and what he desires to do. And unfortunately, we live in the midst of a culture where not all, but many of our Catholic colleges, of our Catholic universities, are in maintenance, bring in the dollars, increase giving mode, and not we are in the business of forming intentional disciples of Jesus Christ to go out and be the martyrs of the 21st century. Can you really say that you are a Catholic school all about Catholicism if you serve dollars more than souls? And so Monsignor Shea says we have to maintain and use our institutions differently. And we should support the institutions that serve Jesus and not dollars. Fourth, establish and strengthen practices that incarnate the Christian vision. He says, in an apostolic age, Christians must find new ways to incarnate what is now a countercultural Christian vision of the world. What does that mean? That means that we order our lives around Christian realities, not secular ones. Not that it's bad to celebrate the Super Bowl, but if you're celebrating the Super Bowl by not going to Mass, is that a problem? Yeah. Not calling anybody out, but as a baby priest here, I've noticed that on Sundays when the Chiefs are playing, we tend to see a lot less people. Just invite you to think about maybe why that is. Establish and strengthen practices that incarnate the Christian vision of the world. 
Do you celebrate the saints at home? What a beautiful way to tell your kids about the heroes of the Christian story. I love preaching to our kids uh, at the, the grade school masses, and they are learning a lot. We have a school that's doing amazing things. But gosh, if we could supplement that really well in our homes, man, that would be amazing. What can we do to incarnate the Christian vision more in our families and our homes? Monsignor tells us fifth, he says, we have to rethink priestly life and education in light of the current cultural context. Basically, that means, and the church in the United States of America has done that, that we have to focus heavily on philosophy before we can teach young priests theology. Why? Because the questions that our culture is asking are not really theological anymore. Right? We, not that we don't get into it with our Protestant brothers and sisters over the Eucharist or over Mary or the saints or anything like that, but it would seem more and more the question is not, is Catholicism or Lutheranism true, then it is, what does it mean to be a human person? Can human beings create themselves and define themselves? Does God exist? And so the church in America has rightly acknowledged we have to train our priests in philosophy to engage the questions that the world is asking. The church in America has also acknowledged that uh, Men who choose to come to the seminary are going to be wounded by the culture that they're living in that is anti-Christian and that it mocks and ridicules Christ. And so she needs to be even more intentional in psychologically and spiritually working with men in seminary and priestly formation to bring healing and freedom in Jesus Christ so that the shepherds of 2021 can go out and love and receive and minister to God's people well. Sixth, there needs to be an allocation of resources with apostolicity in mind. Basically, that means the goal is not do whatever we have to do to keep all the programs open. Right? If there's one program in a parish that keeps churning out disciples, and then we've got a bunch of other ones that are just kind of like there and they're not producing fruit, we shouldn't allocate the resources of the parish equally because we've got to prioritize what is most important. And so if you've heard Father Brian the last few years, there are pastoral priorities here in this parish. And so this is actually a response. Father Brian has seen this for a long time. And so we're prioritizing spiritual growth. We're prioritizing ministry and outreach to marriages and families. Why? Because we're living in a culture that rejects spiritual growth and that is actively attacking and working to destroy the family. All right, Monsignor says, be ready to put up with a certain apostolic messiness. What does that mean? We're going to have a lot of zeal, and we've got a lot of people who want to do lots of things for Jesus, and that's beautiful. Not all of them are going to work. <laughs> there are times that this young priest has been really excited and going out to do something very zealously for Jesus and fallen flat on his face. Okay, and, and Monsignor is basically saying, give yourself permission to do that. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Right? The goal shouldn't be doing it poorly, but if it's I do this or I don't do this, do it. Right? Even if you give yourself an F for the first time that you did it, try it. Go out. Go for it. Apostolic mentality. Right? We're going to do the best we can with what we have. We may fail. We may die. But Jesus is God. All right. Uh, let's see. The last one here. Expect cultural influence to be exercised primarily by what? Impressive witness. Are you ready to give impressive witness for, to, to Jesus and for Jesus? 
It would seem, who were the Christians in 2021 that the world still continues to talk about and be inspired by? Mother Teresa, John Paul II. What do those kinds of people have in common? They're saints. And they heroically chose to love and to follow Jesus before anything else in this life. Monsignor tells us, and he rightly points out, that the, insp- the inspiration in every culture in history that has been a magnet that has drawn lots and lots and lots of people to Jesus is the witness of someone who is going to love Jesus and follow Jesus no matter what. And so just a few years ago uh, in the Islamic State, there were 21 Uh, Coptic Christians who were abducted when they were on pilgrimage. I don't know if you remember this or not. And uh, there was a video that was produced, uh, like, I don't know, a month or two later of their execution. And if you watch this video, you see these 21 men all lined up, and then the one on the end just looks like he is different from all the other guys in the group. And it turns out that these 21 guys were Egyptian Christians, and man number 22 was an African Muslim. And they're all kneeling down together. And as the video goes, I, I don't recommend watching it. I have not watched it, but I trust what people have told me, that uh, there's a sol- an Islamic soldier who puts his, his sword to the throat of the first Christian. And basically the exchange is this. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Renounce Jesus or die. And he would die. And then the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And these men were 21 for 21 in their willingness to lay down their lives for Jesus Christ. What's powerful about that? The African Muslim, do you know what happened to him? He's the last one. These guys went 21 for 21, their willingness to die for Christ. They put the blade to his throat And they said, are you a Christian? And he said, I wasn't, but I am now. And they said, you must renounce Jesus or die. And his response was, their God is my God. And he was executed. And we can rightly call him a saint because he died as a martyr for Jesus Christ. What will it take for us to get there? What will it take? Hey, maybe it's not. <laughs> in Johnson County in 2021, it's not a blade on our throat. It might be someday. But by what commitment do we love Jesus and do we live for him? And are we willing to give that kind of a witness, not just on social media and get, might maybe get disliked and unfriended by people, maybe even in real life? Jesus told his closest friends, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Didn't he like these guys? Yeah, I mean, there's best friends. Okay, what would happen if we were one wolf in the midst of sheep? What would happen? We're all sheep, I'm a wolf, what's going to happen? I'm getting fat and happy, right? He didn't say, you are a bunch of sheep in the midst of one or two wolves in the world. He said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus knew what he was sending his friends to do. And they did it very well. And through their witness, the world was one for him. We can do the math. That's the kind of witness that we're looking for in 2021. 
And that's the kind of witness, that's the kind of teaching that we should be having in our schools. That's the kind of preaching that we should be having in our parishes, right? Do we teach as if we are teaching the martyrs of the 21st century? Do we love our kids and teach them to love Jesus as if we are preparing them for martyrdom? Do we preach and love God's people and live the priesthood as if we are ready for that and we want to draw other people to say yes to that? If not, can we really say that we're Christian? And so that's kind of a snapshot as to what Monsignor is talking about in his book. That is night number two. That's pretty intense, wasn't it? (laughs) Our God is the God of life. He knows who he is and what he's about. He has raised up saints in every age. And he is looking for people open and willing to receive that gift of holiness and to give that kind of witness to him today. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we praise and thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. We praise and thank you for his presence in the Eucharist in our midst. And we pray, Father, for a culture of Eucharistic amazement in our hearts, our schools, our parishes, our families, and in your church. Father, we pray that we may increasingly each day allow ourselves to be more and more converted by Jesus for Jesus that we may be freed and healed and sent out in friendship with your Son to proclaim him the Lord of life, the Prince of Peace, the King of the nations. And we entrust the cause of victory in our hearts, our families, and our homes to your mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, St. Joseph, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for coming tonight.